Good afternoon, everybody. We're back, and we're fatter than ever. I'm Logan. This is the Toe Meets Leather Podcast. With me today is a Texas A&M fan who is just hyped up for this Jimbo situ- Fisher situation. He's fishing for a better coach. How's it going today, Artem? <laughs> Can't wait for all the fishing class. Hey, Logan. How's it going? Not too bad. And on the other end, we got... A man who is, for reasons that I can't even comprehend, uh, giving up alcohol for the next couple of weeks. It won't make our football team any better, Andrew. Yeah, you know, just I got too fat. And <laughs> I need to stop being so fat. Um, I also want to dedicate this podcast to our long-lost friend, Turtle. George <laughs> Nob but not forgotten, brother. Enjoy Turtle Heaven. Thoughts and prayers. No, may may he rest in peace. I that situation blows my goddamn mind. Like, yeah, it it may be the craziest. I still don't actually understand what is going on. In that do you, do you want to give everybody a quick background of exactly what you're talking about? I, I think what is I've kind of figured out from reading. You know, because whenever you plumb the depths of Deadspin, it's never good. But basically, it seems like the Florida State kicker sometime last year got jumped by some dudes from this fraternity. And so, like, in order to get back, like, he and another guy broke into the house and murdered their fraternity pet turtle. And, like, got caught, which then led to another brawl in the fraternity house. What the hell? (laughs) People can't get away with nothing. Oh, jeez. Like, and this isn't a good mark. Well, and this is also a terrible mark going into the whole, like, there's all these critiques around. I know we're a football podcast, but we were both in a fraternity. This is not a good mark for fraternities getting in fights with football programs. Like, especially at FSU where you've got all this other crap. Like, go. Oh, I, I, I'm, I'm fairly certain it's the same fraternity that is currently, like, indefinitely suspended because one of their pledges died. But don't take it out on the fucking turtle. Like, Jesus. No, man. Tur- turtle didn't deserve that. Oh, man. Anyway, yeah. Uh, rest in peace, Turtle. Anyway. I'm not forgotten, homie. As I know we would love to talk about things other than football, uh, given the state of our program. But uh, we are, like I said, we are a college football podcast. Um, so this week we're just going to go over a brief recap of our team seasons, Texas A&M and Georgia Tech. And from there, we'll move on to some of the coaching talk. Artem, you actually had positive things to say. Also, you got this really surprised look on your face. So either they did something really amazing or maybe you just signed Fisher. I'm not really sure. But why don't you go ahead and recap uh, Texas A&M season for, for us? It was kind of a roller coaster ride. I, I was surprised because I'm reading more about this turtle. Returning member Daniel Ferminski said he woke up to celebratory chants coming out of the living room. We also found one of the athletes holding the chapter's pet turtle, Turtle, which appeared dead as its shell was ripped from its body. What the fuck? It's unclear who is responsible for Turtle's death, but the owner, in addition to blank a blank, did not wish to press charges. <laughs> there's, there's more to a story here, I swear. That's just... Ah, like, I love turtles, man. I I get along well with turtles because I am a slow-moving creature that would like to carry my home on my back and just sleep all day. 
So this really hits me hard, okay? Oh, man. But anyway. So uh, to update kind of the most recent stuff, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll put the situation like this. The FSC president came out today, and his quote was, my job would be really easy if not for fraternities and football. So he's had a lot thrown on the last couple of days. I think it's, a, it's an odd situation. And it all started with, uh, from, uh, from all, everything I've read, our loss to UCLA at the beginning of the season, uh, which is now an NCAA record comeback. Uh, and at that point, our, we've had a new athletic director who's barely been there a year. He decided he's going to head in a new direction with a coach. So he started looking around. Um, Apparently, he didn't want to be one of those guys that coaches somebody from a different school. So guys like Peterson, who he was at Washington with, were under consideration. But you don't want to be the AD that also brings the coach over with you. Uh, so he kind of passed those guys up, and uh, he settled on Fisher. And that conversation apparently started in September after the UCLA loss. So um, the whole time, uh, two of them have been talking and kind of holding a private conversation. He seems like a pretty uh, done deal type of guy. Like Until it's done, you won't know if it's done, but he's got it all figured out in the background. Uh, so that's kind of from from everything I read, the timeline. It started about, uh, around then, and about uh, two weeks ago, one of the Houston Chronicle and beat writers uh, leaked the news saying uh, someone's gone. Like doesn't matter what happens in the LSU game, he's getting fired. Um, you know, everybody was kind of looking at last season and comparing it to uh, LSU courting Fisher, and I think it was two seasons ago, uh, courting Fisher, and they're about to fire Les Miles, and then Les Miles comes out and beats the crap out of A&M, which happened the last five years previously, and <laughs> uh, saves his job, players carry him off the field, they don't fire him, then first couple games of the next season, he gets fired. Ed Orgeron is an interim head coach for the rest of the season. Same thing. They're looking at Fisher because Fisher used to be the offensive coordinator there when they won a national championship. Um, and all these conversations around, do we keep Ed Orgeron? Do we get Fisher? And it's honestly kind of the same thing. If, um, if uh, LSU kind of stuck it out, I think they probably would have actually gotten Fisher last year. Uh, but I, I think it's kind of a game of chicken, right? So, Obviously, Fisher wants the best for himself, but he was, he's also a competitive dude. So uh, last year, I think they won like 10 games. So LSU was looking at him, they're like, is this 10-win coach going to come over to, to coach our school, or is he getting money more, more money out of right. And they, they ended up saying uh, signing Ed Orgeron. And the evidence for that is Ed Orgeron said he went into the coaches' meeting, he proposed his stuff, and he said, I walked out of a meeting where I was trying to sell myself, and I walked out thinking I was the number two guy for the job. But he ended up yeah, but going back to the Texas A&M situation, clearly they've been trying to make this move for a long time. And it just comes down to the surrounding circumstances. Now you've got a good position where Jimbo just came off of a really rough year. Uh, he's kind of looking for greener pastures. And a lot of the negatives start to come to light. The facilities he's working with at FSU, some of the red tape he has to go through, maybe some uh, obnoxious fan bases right. it can so be the word the words that's been used is reset essentially he's a, a kind of one of the things i heard that at the very beginning of this coaching carousel that happened is um most of the time a head coach doesn't want to stay at a place for longer than 10 years um, 
the reason for that is not because he wants he doesn't want to leave a legacy, but because shit happens and eventually you're at the center of it and you're the main guy in the program and you're at fault. In Jimbo Fisher's case, he's constantly fighting for facilities, like you said, and every year he gets a raise uh, through this coaching carousel and he gets a new facility built. But he has to continuously fight for us. So there's a lot of friction between him and the boosters. Um, but there's also, like, it was found out he divorced his wife because she cheated on him with two prior FSU players who are now in the NFL. She didn't get a bunch of money. She was supposed to get half, right? Guy, wife divorces you, you get half. No, she, that didn't happen in this case because they found out a bunch of text messages and uh, all these conversations between her and the players. Oh. Presented Oh, good. Well, at least he doesn't have to pay her. Good. Oh, jeez. <laughs> so she only got like a million out of it, and then he has to pay for, for child care. But there's a lot of things going around there, and it's just one of those where um, uh, I know it kind of looks like a tougher job from a you have to play Saban every year, you have to play LSU every year, um, and they're, they're way higher on the list of national programs than A&M has been, especially in the last 80 years. Um, but I think it's one of those jobs where – you know, if he keeps coaching FSU, if he wins another championship, that's cool. Like, Nick Saban is expected now to win a national championship, right? Yeah. Uh, small mistakes are essentially magnified, and him winning a national championship is no longer like a super yay. It's like, hey, you're expected to do that. Um, we're at A&M. You get a 10-win season. People are like, holy crap, we're going to the national championship next season. You know? Like, it, the, the expectations are smaller, and when you exceed them, it's a much bigger win. Well, um, and I mean, I think uh, I wish Tommy was here because he's obviously the very other end of the spectrum as far as we've discussed. There's been a lot of back and forth on our group me regarding the subject matter. Um, personally, I'm trying to be more open to the thought process because, like you said, it really comes down to does he feel like he's got a better chance at cementing a legacy at FSU or in the short term – does he feel like he would be happier at Texas A&M, make more money, and maybe end up better off kind of leaving the whole FSU drama behind him? Uh, Andrew, I haven't really heard your opinion on the matter. What are your thoughts uh, as far as what Fisher should do moving forward? I've, I've actually kind of switched sides. You know, Artem, and you can attest this, I was originally kind of out as, you know, why would Fisher do this? Why would he leave? What's What's going on? But as I really read a lot more and really started to understand a lot more of the situation, I, I mean, if I'm Jimbo Fisher, I go. You know, A&M's got better facilities. They're going to pay you more money. You know, and especially with Artem talking about his, his divorce issues, his personal issues, uh, Tallahassee's a small town. You know, it's it, you have to stay capital, but a lot of people know a lot of people's business, and it's really kind of a good, fresh start. You know, the other side of it, and, and I didn't think about this. I heard it on the radio today. You know, Nick Saban's getting up there. You know, he's, he's going to retire a lot sooner than Dabo Sweeney's going to retire at Clemson. And, and in my mind, Sweeney has done a great job at Clemson and built them to where, I, I mean, they're, all, they're just about Alabama. You know, they played in two straight national title games. They're the number one team in the country. They're playing for a conference title with a shot at the playoffs. Like, you know, he's gotten to the point where with Clemson, they're reloading just about like Alabama is every year. And – you know, you you look and say, yeah, you know, Saban will be there three or four years, but then he's gone versus, you know, 10 to 15 years with Dabo Sweeney. 
Well, assuming Dabo doesn't move immediately to Alabama when that job becomes available. True, true. And, I mean, I imagine he's, he's going to be the top name. But I've actually, you know, other than the you know the old adage, it's hard to say no when mama calls you home. But yeah, I'm not even sure if, if Alabama's necessary. I mean, you'll make more money, and it's a bigger prestige job. But, I mean, the dude just won a national title at Clemson. And if he can start to gather multiple ones. What I would say is I think the biggest mistake that I think everybody, including A&M fans, Florida fans, every, all college fans across the country make, is we look at what's at, what's behind us, right? We look at Clemson's won several national championships, or Alabama's won like six or seven in a row, and because of that, Alabama's a good place to go. Instead, like you said, he said he's at Clemson. He's played for two national championships last two years. Technically, Clemson's the place to go right now. That's what players look at whenever they pick a school. They don't pick a school that won four national champ or three national championships in the last five years. They're like, hey, this school might win this one with this year. It might be their first one, but might be the third one at Clemson. I want to go there. Uh, and kind of like you said, I think the top two players and top two of the three players in the country are currently going to Clemson right now. One's on the defensive side of the ball, the other one's a quarterback. Um, but it's kind of like the same thing. That's a good argument I've heard about A and M FSU as well. People are kind of comparing. Why would you leave FSU with such a storied history, such a you know more wins, conference titles, things like that, um, than A and M? Instead, it's more uh, coaches are competitors. How is this job better than the job I have now? Well, not has it been better, but is it better? Is it? Can I make it a big impact here? Like well, it's it's also a little different. Um, I mean, speaking as someone who just moved my job, it's obviously there's a key difference between coaching and your standard blue collar stuff because you got to think about the wins, you got to think about your legacy that you're leaving behind, and all the prestige that comes with that. But at the same time, if you're just looking at it from like a job perspective, it sounds like he doesn't feel like he's getting respected at FSU. Like he's got to work really hard to get better facilities at a school that at the same time is expecting him to compete for a national championship every year. And it's like, okay, but I got to work to get these extra funds and I'm not getting paid as much as A&M would pay me. It's like sometimes at the end of the day, it's just better to move on. If you feel like you're going to get a nicer boss, who's willing to give you more for all the work that you're putting in. I mean, speaking from the exact situation that I just left off, I'm like, I can certainly understand where Jimbo is coming from if he wanted to leave. I don't necessarily know that in the long term that would be a better deal for him. I think Tommy's got a good idea from a long-term perspective. If it was coming down to like 10 years down the road, then yeah, it's hard to say what's going to happen with A&M. The SEC has got too many question marks uh, whereas within the ACC, you're probably just kind of going to be in the same scenario. You're really just worried about Clemson. But in the short term, if your boss isn't respecting you and you're just not having a good time working there, get the hell out. <laughs> I mean, what, what else is there to say? All right, two more things before we keep beating a dead horse. Um, college landscape is changing, right? Five years ago, everybody was like, Alabama's number one, nobody can beat Alabama. Why would you go anywhere else? Now people are like, oh, I can go to Clemson and win a national title. Or maybe I can go uh, play for Jim Harbaugh, who Michigan was apparently trying to work a lifetime coaching contract out for. Um, 
that's that's my last point or second to last point. And the last one it would be kind of like what you said. Um, you want a boss who fights for that stuff for you because he realizes that stuff's important. Not a boss who's like, no, Jimbo, I don't think we need any facilities. Well, okay, so. We're getting into dead horse territory with the coaching situation. Uh, we kind of got into it a little early because that's the big talk around a uh, Give me a quick summary. What are we looking at, regardless of the coaching situation, what are y'all looking at player-wise going into next year? How are y'all feeling? Because uh, seven five year after that horrible start that you just mentioned uh, kind of surprised a lot of people. Off. 
Um, so it, it's a lot of that kind of stuff. If you look back on it, some of the some of the wins, we got some wins that we should have, and then um, somehow we played Alabama close, and then we get blown out by LSU, who couldn't do anything against Alabama. So, um, yeah, it, it's the, been a very interesting season. The SEC was also really weird about that this year. I mean, some people played Alabama really close in some games, and then weird stuff happened. All right, Andrew, I don't really want to talk about this, but we we are a college football podcast. Uh, Georgia Tech, um, I guess you could argue that we didn't do terrible because we lost some really close games in unusual fashions. But at the end of the day, we're not going bowling. Uh, I think there's been a lot of complaints about our defense and Ted Roof. And, of course, there's the standard chirping year in and year out about, is P.J. right? Are we okay to be running this flexbone system at Georgia Tech? I know where you stand on that, but what are your thoughts going back on the year? You know, it's it's a season of pissed away chances. You know, we, we blew fourth-quarter leads against Tennessee and Miami and Virginia. You know, all games that – Spotted touchdowns, had the lead, and defense couldn't make stops when needed him to make stops. You know, it's you feel like you beat a, a dead horse and you play the same broken record over and over and over and over again about, you know, I mean, in the offense, especially towards the end of the year, the offense wasn't great. You know, I mean, you and I watched the third quarter at Duke. Oh, God. To call that offense a dumpster fire is an insult to dumpster fires everywhere. Well, it, it and maybe this is just my opinion. It felt like there was a change in mentality going into the last two games where suddenly we weren't running our standard offense. You know more about the offense than I do. It, I, I really need to, and maybe this is my offseason, is is I want to go back. Um, fortunately, there's a really good he's – a, he's a high school coach in Michigan. I've actually talked to him a couple of times who does a, uh, a weekly breakdown of our offense. You know, basically just, you know, he kind of tags it play call or what he thinks the play call is, the formation and stuff. And I really want to go back and watch because I'm kind of convinced, especially watching uh, Duke and, you know, to a lesser extent, Virginia Tech in the Georgia game, I'm not sure how good Taquan Marshall is at reading triple. Because it seemed like we ran a lot of speed, a lot of counter, a lot of, you know, single read or – no read type plays and you know when you're when your bread and butter play is you know triple midline follow trap dive and you can't get anything out of it uh, you know you're you're hamstrung trying to figure out what you're going to do i mean the big thing that i've seen there's a great um articles or a series of articles ken segura the the georgia tech beat writer for the ajc who's actually pretty good is kind of doing a a breakdown of the season and his first article is about just absolute abysmal play from the offensive tackles you know as well as we lost some guys in the offseason that we were hoping to lean on to play you know Andrew Marshall gets hurt who was going to be penciled in as a starter and you know you just kind of cycle you had offensive line injuries you had a walk on Bailey Ivermeyer playing towards the end of the year you know you don't want to sit here and say injuries 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 but you know we, we dealt with some again on the offensive line which but again, it was it was supposed to be some depth and some talent. You know, we had three true freshmen last year, 
and Jazeel Lee, Parker Broad, and Kenny Cooper, who played well. You know, Cooper and Broad played well. Lee, uh, he's still got a lot to learn. He's an athletic kid, but, you know, false starts kill him. And, and the thing is, we, we kind of learned, you know, the, the Virginia game we couldn't protect. The, the, the passing game was there, and we couldn't protect. But then you get to Virginia Tech. We overthrow Ricky June, first play of the game, should have been touchdown. You know, we protected yeah. well against Georgia, and, and I don't know if Marshall just couldn't didn't see, just didn't whatever, but, you know, we had some, some throw. I don't know if it would have mattered because we weren't going to stop Georgia anyway, but he had some throws that he either missed or just didn't see, and, and you have to wonder, you know, and I need to go again. I, I haven't done full depth in on the numbers yet, but I'd be willing to bet we threw the ball less as a percentage of the total offensive plays this year than we have ever done under Paul Johnson. The only year that I would think about would be close might have been 2010. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Again, I'd have to go back and look at the numbers. I unfortunately haven't really had a time to dive deep into it. And the thing about it is, when you look at who played and who started this year on offense, we should be better next year. Should be. We have, we have eh. two seniors in Shamir Devine and Ricky June. June's a big loss because he was really the only receiver that did anything. You know, Brad Stewart got the dropsies a couple of times that you're just like, dude, you got to make that play. That would have been the end of the Miami game had he not drawn it. You know, he had another one, and and, he had a great play in the Virginia Tech game, and he's a solid punt returner, and he's going to catch it, get two yards, and not fumble the ball, which sometimes you'll take that. You know, Cervante Benson was, was... significantly better than I think anyone expected him to be. You know, he went over a 1,000 yards. He, he had a good year, in my mind, picking up four. You know, we lost Mills I was, and Marshall, and we were kind of like, oh, God, oh, God, yeah, oh, God. Honestly, I was surprised they didn't give it to Benson more. I mean, I get the idea that it's, it's uncomfortable bashing your head against the rock, running, like, just dive or, uh, like – the thing about it is, is if it, uh, and, and this is even deeper into a scheme, and this is my own personal opinion, and I'm sure Paul Johnson would tell me I'm an idiot, but, you know, we sometimes, especially on dive, trap to an extent, our offensive linemen look to cut when they should just block straight up. You know, you go back and watch the tape, you know, the Georgia game, Georgia's a fantastic team defensively. I mean, unbelievable talent defensively. But those guys played with their hands so well and played off blocks, it didn't really matter. And I think if we at least tried to block head up, maybe we could have gotten in the way a little bit instead of falling down on them running by us. You know, and I think that kills us sometimes in the straight ahead, you know, dive, follow, trap game because you can't get that block. You know, if, if the guy plays it with his hands well, he's right there to make the tackle and you get two yards. You know, the other thing is I kind of wish we had seen a little more Jerry Howard, who who's, I think is a pretty good player for us as a freshman. You know, and then, but then we got we had almost no production on the edge. Well, Nick Cottrell had the best numbers out of any of the A-backs, and I really liked his run against Georgia. You know, I thought he, he's a quick kid. He gets downhill fast. I'm excited to see what he brings to the table. But when your tackles aren't blocking, when you didn't have great blocks from a lot of wide receivers, your arc blocks missed half the time. So you're not going to be able to get a lot of production. And if Marshall can't read triple, a lot of times you're not going to be able to get the ball on the perimeter. Yeah, and that's just my opinion. So it goes back to what you're talking about. But this is kind of what I saw was every time we – pretty much every time we ran option on the second half of the season, 
he was or triple as you as you put it we he would just pitch it it was basically just a pitch play in one form or another where he would run it out but you knew he was going to give it to the a back and that's that's yeah. not really a triple is it <laughs> like, no and, and you know like i said I, I need to go back and watch the tape but I, I remember a play specifically and i can't remember the game and and i kind of wish i could like draw on the screen and show you what i'm talking about but basically what a lot of teams will do is is they'll their defensive end will basically step out and they'll fire a linebacker in through the B gap. And what that's designed to do is if you're running triple, that defensive end is going to be your dive read. And so if that defensive end steps out, that's a give. I mean, that is 100%. You give it, he steps, he's taking the quarterback, you try to hit it up in there. But they, it's called, we call it an easy stunt. Where the and it's a gap exchange easy stunt. Defensive end will step out, linebacker will hard, you know, you know, come flying in through the B gap. And if you read that in and you can't preset and see, okay, maybe they're going to easy stunt, you're going to give, and your B back's going to get killed. <laughs> that linebacker is going to kill it. And that's something that you learn from running the offense and from kind of understand what a lot of teams do. And you kind of have that communication of, all right, you know, there's going to be a gap exchange, so. You pull on the linebacker and you read the end as the pitch, which is basically flipping your read from, you know, two one to one two. But uh, you know, I just I don't know. And it, it, the other problem is, you know, Marshall broke the school record for rushing yards by a quarterback. He ran for the second most rushing touchdowns for a quarterback at Georgia Tech from Paul Johnson. Like, how do you bench that guy? Yeah, it's a tough call. I mean, he had some really impressive games, but a lot of that was based on his him kind of trying to make it himself anyway we've been we already spent 10 minutes just talking about the offense what are your thoughts on the defense they were again i mean statistically they were better than they've been in the past um you know if you want to look at the numbers i think scoring defense we were i know i know third down defense we were second in the conference if i remember correctly i think total defense we were fourth or fifth but you know we're near the bottling we're ninth in scoring defense which to me that's really the number that matters you know is how many points is your defense given up and especially the georgia and the duke games and virginia i mean it didn't well, really matter i mean yeah it's the it's the close games that really drive you crazy like with miami where they're just running screen plays on you and driving like all the way down the fucking field excuse my language, it really pissed me off. And, you know, the Tennessee game where all of a sudden, like, you're doing great all game and then you give up these huge plays down the field because you don't try to stop the run at all. Or, you know, miss you know, I'm, I'm really interested to see, and, and from what I've heard and, and talked and kind of figured out, some of the young guys that we've got coming in to play in the secondary for us next year are probably more athletic than the guys we played with. But, you know, when you've got a guy like Steph Durham or the Austin Twins that have been three-year starters at their positions, you know, it's it's tough for a, a redshirt freshman or a true freshman young buck to come in. And even, even if he's more athletic and, and even plays better in practice, I mean, it's tough to bench those guys. I mean, and they've done really good things. When they've got history with the program, it's hard to just be like, well, we're going to not, you know, let them play. I mean, considering they were the heroes of a couple of games last year, I can't 
name them off the top of my head, but I know Austin for a fact had some really big interceptions. Um, yeah, you know, and and they and they played well for you. You know, the problem with the Austins is, you know, they're good kids, they're they're athletic, but you know, they're five eight. You can go watch the tape of the Virginia game and see that's what killed us. Oh yeah, well, yeah. especially in the second half where they basically just had a a taller wide receiver on Lance Austin, and they were just throwing fade routes. Like, what are you gonna do? <laughs> um, you know, and and the other the other big position on defense that I'm really concerned about is defensive end. I mean, Keyshawn Freeman never got better. His best season may have been his freshman year. He's a freshman All American, and then he just he never got better. He never put it together. He never, you know, is he. He had four and a half sacks as a freshman, and he never even got close to that again. You so, know, uh, we've always struggled on the defensive line for – I mean, we could do three podcasts on why we struggle recruiting on the defensive line. You know, the the inside, you know, Branch Adams, Glenn, and Owens, you know, they rotated well, and you got something out of them, but none of them could really beat blocks and stop the run. You know, the linebackers, not a lot of production there. I mean, I think Brant Mitchell – yeah, linebackers was probably our weakest position, honestly, because uh, our defensive ends were actually getting stuff done for once. You know, I, I like the youngsters. You know, I like Jordan Swilling, and I, I think T.D. Roof's a pretty pretty quick athletic kid. You know, and, and I'm hoping that, you know, this past season we recruited better than we have in the past. You know, the other thing is we, we lost a ton of guys to attrition. You know, we had a lot of depth that was just gone. Well, and we said at the beginning of the season, we were like 7-5 and five at best. And if you look at some of the games we lost in close fashion, we could have easily been there. But circumstances you being know, I mean, what they you are. Could, you could argue that we're, you know, we're three plays away from 8-3. Yeah, that's fair. And a hurricane away from 8-4. and 8-4. and four. <laughs> But, uh... I don't know, man. If we caught UCF early, maybe we would have been all right. We got it rolling. Hard, hard to tell. So, I think you've highlighted the players a lot. Before we move on, because we still want to talk about the coach carousel a bit. Do you feel? I know your position on PJ. You know, you're okay with PJ. Ted well, Roof. Can't afford to fire him until next year at the earliest. Yeah, Ted Roof, though. You know, the thing about Teddy is. He's, he's, I think he's a good recruiter. I think he's done a lot recruiting-wise to help us and build some relationships and build some some other things. You know, and again, statistically, we had some better some better ideas. But when you get down to it, I mean, we're already he's our he's our third defensive coordinator in Johnson's ten seasons. You know, he's he's been there the longest. You know, Dave Womack made it two years. Al Groh made it two and a half. You know, Roof's been there 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. Is that five or six years? You know, I, I, I mean, the biggest thing to me is, is I think we need some shakeup on the staff. I'm not sure if it's necessarily Ted Roof. I don't know. There was an interesting article on uh, from the Rumble Seed that basically said fire everyone except five coaches. But you know, actually, I actually speaking of, I have that article up right now as part of my research, but. Um, you know the thing to me is is I, I am I'm a I'm a I'm a the offensive line has continued to be an issue and continued to be an issue and continued to be an issue and continued to be an issue, and I am I am in the idea of you know you get rid of Mike Seawalk 
and you pay Ashley Ingram at Navy whatever the hell he wants. Mm. You know, the other, the other side of it, too, I've, I've read some interesting things coming out from the administration. You know, Todd Stansbury, the new AD, talking about we haven't funded the program right, we haven't given Johnson what he needs, and basically coming out and promising, you know, more money into the program, you know, maybe some more some more analysts, some more recruiting office guys. They're renovating the locker room finally. You know, we are, yeah. you know, you, t- you know, Art I mean, talked about. He is a good AD. He, he's a good AD, and he and he's not wrong. I think things will get better. It just this was not a fun season, because it's not like two, it's not like two years ago we were we were just bad. It's we were this close to being eight and three, like you said. You know, like I said, I'm, I, the big interesting thing to me, I think, is a quarterback because I think you've got some talent and depth, and but the problem is, as I said, when Mark you know Marco breaks school records. And was elected as a captain as a junior. I mean, you bench a guy like that, and you lose the locker room, and it's over before the season starts. All right. Well, we spent we spent a good twenty minutes talking about it. We still got some stuff to cover. Really quick, uh, let's go into uh, the coaching carousel. There's two in particular that I want to talk about. Uh, I'm gonna put Tennessee on the back burner because that's just a fucking mess. Um, Arizona State. I, I actually want to go on record and say that I recently declined the head coaching job at Tennessee. <laughs> so I don't blame you either. I don't want to go. No one wants to go to Tennessee right now. Tennessee has put themselves in a bad position. Arizona State, though, is the interesting one to me with the Herm Edwards situation, uh, where they're kind of just they're promising all this stuff, and Herm Edwards hasn't even fucking taken the job yet. Uh, Artem, you were losing your mind a second ago because you weren't getting the chance to talk, so I'll turn it over to you first. What are your thoughts on this uh, Arizona State situation? Not even will Herm Edwards accept, just why are they going out of their way to make things so complicated for him? Um, you know, uh, I almost want to – I actually didn't realize who Herm Edwards was. I had to look him up because uh, it's been a while since I've uh, seen him on ESPN even. But uh, from kind of seeing how the situation turned out, it, I think it's just another one of those, um, the president or the AD wants his own guy in. He's been having a conversation there for a while, almost irrelevant of how the season would have turned out. And, you know, I, I feel like Herman Edwards is the type of guy that you don't, all of a sudden have as one of your top five guys right away, unless you've been thinking about it for a while. Because he's, I, I don't know if he'd be, even if he's like your personal friend, he would be a top choice. He'd be like, okay, well, let's bet some definite probables in college first. Oh, actually, here's a choice over here, and then you'd move on to him. It seemed like they were like, all right, Aaron Edwards, you are our guy. Let's interview you. Like, it was quick. Yeah, they were like, uh, dude, we know he's going to sign. But to me, it's the surprising part is the promises. They're promising conference championships. They're saying that their team hasn't been as good as it should be. They're acting like they're a top-tier program that should be competing for a national championship when they're in a conference with teams like Washington, Stanford, USC, where it's like you're not even the top team in your conference. You're promising all this stuff, and then you're asking an old coach – like Herm Edwards, to basically come out of retirement to coach your program and lead them to a national championship. 
that's a lot of pressure to put on a guy. Uh, Andrew, what are your thoughts on the subject matter? I, I really like and respect Herm Edwards. I just, I don't, I, I cannot for the life of me figure out why this is what Arizona State wants to do. Especially on the point of, I mean, it seems like they're not even, like, cleaning house. They're keeping all most of the assistants. You know, the the two coordinators, Billy Napier and Phil Bennett, are apparently going to stay? <laughs> For whatever, uh, there's a lot of, uh, I think there was a lot of head coach assistant problems going on. And I think the president and the, he kind of helped in the hiring of some of the assistants, and you could see some of the communication problems. But, yeah. um, I mean, I've not heard a lot of good things about Todd Grant. I mean, I, I've never – but, I mean, I haven't talked to a lot of guys that have worked with him. But, you know, I mean, you do look at what happened. You know, he kind of ran out in the middle of the night on pit a couple years ago. But, I mean, I mean, you're getting rid of a guy after a 7-5 and five season. I don't know. Uh, I mean – Hey man, they should be competing for a national championship. Seven and five, that shit doesn't cut it. See what they did. See what Texas A and M did to Sumlin. You know, ASU though. <laughs> Come on. So that's that's true that you made that comparison because if you go look at it to to your earlier point, they've actually finished second in their division. I think three of the last four years or something crazy like that. So they've been good. They've just been under the radar for so long that they haven't. Haven't made it to a conference championship, so nobody thinks that they have anything going on over there. So now they're like, "Well, if we bring in this guy who's a hard ass, you know, everybody will start playing a lot better. We'll have all these three stars playing like five stars." I don't know. Yeah, I'm sure Herm can pull in recruits. He is a incredibly charismatic guy. If you've ever watched him on ESPN, and I'm, I really like him from his personality standpoint. It's just, it seems kind of out of nowhere to be making these kind of goals. Anyway, uh, it was a quick touch. We're going to move on. So Tennessee, Arnhem, I know you more know more about Tennessee. They're currently looking to pick up your old head coach because the other three head coaches they talked to have all shut them down. So uh, uh, what are your thoughts going in? Uh, does, where does Tennessee go from here? Like, is someone even going to be willing to take this position? somebody saying uh you know i really hope that uh someone takes a tennessee job because i wish him the best and i want him to get another job quickly but if i want to wish what's best for him i really hope he doesn't do that (laughs) and i think that's how everybody feels i think you're going to meet somebody under the radar who's a hard ass who doesn't care about what happened in the past and knows that if you fall somebody like matt campbell not that matt campbell's going to leave but Matt Campbell could go into that situation and fix everything if they're willing to give him, I don't know, whatever it is he wants. Uh, but you, you need that kind of system. You want a guy to come in, you want a guy to dictate, and but you also have to give him the power to do so. Um, I really don't see that happening in, in that situation. There's a lot of people who seem to be decision makers or uh, think they're decision makers that speak out publicly on behalf of the program. Uh, so they have to give somebody a lot of control fix it or we're gonna have to watch a mediocre Tennessee for years to come which is um, probably not a big deal if you're a Vanderbilt fan 
I mean, frankly, I'm okay with that as an Alabama fan, um, and I'm sure all the other teams in the East don't really care. Uh, but it it hurts me in a way to see a program struggle this much just to get a coach. Like that's insane. Uh, Andrew, why do you think they should hire Derek Dooley again, and why is it the pants? <laughs> Tennessee has been turned down by the current head coaches at the football powerhouses of Duke, Purdue, and NC State. Soon to be Texas A&M. Well, they also got shut down. Was it former the currently unemployed former head coach of Texas A&M? Wait, 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 wait. Weren't they also shut down by the previous head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? No, 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 no. They were, from what I've read, they were ready willing to hire Shiano. Shiano was ready to take the job, and everyone lost their minds about it. Said, why do we want to hire this guy? And, and for lack of a better term, the AD shit himself. <laughs> it's, it's absolutely you know, true. I, I think I made a comparison on the group me where it was like, it's basically they came in, they promised, it's like the equivalent of me promising this guy $100 to come on the podcast and then when he gets here, it's like, sorry, I only got a frosty coupon here. Uh, you'll have to and make it, do. And it's only for like a baby frosty. Like it's not even a good frosty. But it, sorry, go ahead. It's just been horribly missed. I mean, Tennessee just have had issues ever since getting rid of Philip Pullman. You know, you got rid of a guy, and I'm going to pull this up before I just completely talk out. But, I mean, you know, Fulmer had done a lot for that program and had really, in, in our lifetime, turned them into what they are. You know, the, the Tennessee of Peyton Manning, the Tennessee of, you know, he went 10-4 and four and then was fired after a 5-7 and seven season. He went 152-52. and 52. He missed a bowl game twice. Like, he, he won a national title, a conference title. He won, you know five eastern titles like phil you know he he built that program and they fired him and really haven't done a lot since you know they really haven't been super relevant since then yeah i don't know what to make of it it's it's an awkward situation for everybody because they were so desperate to fire their current coach that i don't think they really thought about who would take the position? Like, because nobody wants this job. Well, and, and I think I think the Shiano debacle has has really taken a lot of shine off of what probably is a pretty good job. Uh, you know, it's it's kind of made you wonder. You know, how much is the AD going to have your back? How much is the AD? You know, and obviously David Cutcliffe at Duke is an older guy who I think's ready to retire at Duke. So that that one we really can't make fun of him. But like. You know, you're Jeff Brom at Purdue. I mean, Tennessee's a better job than Purdue. You would think, certainly. You know, and, and you could, I mean, you know, and I'm glad we don't have a lot of NC State friends of the pod because they'd probably get angry about this, but I, I mean, I think Tennessee's a better job than NC State well, from like, a facilities and, and money standpoint, obviously. Again, it should be, but they're not matching up to those expectations. It's a two-way street, you know. The name only gets you so far nowadays. You're seeing the same stuff with 
FSU where it's like, oh, yeah, well, we have such a great name and we're so much prestige and like, yeah, 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 yeah. But the last time you updated your facilities was in 2003. Like, I don't care how many good recruits we get. Like, you can't train them properly at these places. Uh, it's it's insane to me. Like, your name, like people, you got to give them money if you expect to get the feedback. Well, I, I, I think the, the landscape has changed so much. You know, it's, it's no longer like, well, obviously this guy's going to go from this job to that job. I think coaches, you know, put a lot more thought and a lot more – you know, you don't want to say it's not just about the money anymore, but, you know, I think a lot of coaches have gotten smarter about jobs and they've seen guys in bad situations and they've seen stuff like that. You know, they're not as quick to take what may or may not be a better job. All right. Artem, do you I have any? Need, I think we need to reevaluate some of these kind of things that have been there in the past, like Purdue not being a better job than Tennessee or NC State. I think actually Purdue, if we look at it, has a lot of stuff going on in terms of uh, uh, what's his name. Drew Brees has been very involved there, getting a lot of sponsors and boosters to invest in the program. Um, so it's actually a you never know with all the toxicity going on to Tennessee. You don't want to deal with that. Purdue is a better job. So it's all it's kind of based on the outlook. And I think with the amount of money that people are able to show out these days for a coach, um, it's you, you kind of have a different view as a coach. Um, after having coached at a, any school that pays you over a million dollars, you're already a millionaire. You're not really thirsting for money uh, unless you're a big spender. Um, but now we've gotten to a phase where if you paid coach for six years, he's going to not potentially be there for six years. He can get fired three years in, they'll give him money, and he's on his way out. Like whatever he's built is gone. And I think that's kind of with all these millionaire coaches walking around, that's – what their biggest concern is. They want to build something. They want to uh, put something together and have a legacy there instead yeah. of getting fired three years in. Well, and like you said, they want to be at a place where they get respect and, you know, legacy. Having a statue at the school might not be in the Hall of Fame, but, hey, you know, people like you there. You know what, Purdue, you know what Purdue can say that Tennessee can't say? Astronauts? No, they beat Missouri this year. Suck it, Tennessee. <laughs> I think a lot of people can say that's Tennessee. Yeah, the other side of it, too, is we're all in such a win-now culture that coaches don't really get time to do anything. You know, I mean, I've always felt outside of utter debacles, you give a guy five years because it allows him a full set of recruiting classes to come in. Yeah, you can't can't buy that and not – and I don't think they would give them that at Tennessee. I don't think they're going to give anybody that at Tennessee. I think that's because of the media more so than anything else. I think the media comes out and tells you why they think that somebody should get fired. Or they'll start rumors of somebody getting fired because they heard somebody was upset about with a coach. And that kind of starts the process early. Whereas before, you didn't get that much information. So you were sitting on, you know, okay, well, you know, maybe it really wasn't his fault. Like you'd be upset about it for a day or so. Two days down the road, you're like, okay, we have a bad offensive line this season. It's not like he's going to change that going into the next game. Like your standards change. And yeah. now with with all the media and announcements and people knowing ahead of time, uh, before even you know the people have even made a decision, you're like, hey, yep, this is happening. Just FYI, everybody, this guy's getting fired. People are like, all right, time to start trashing on this guy because he's not may not be here anymore in you know two weeks. Or uh, 
I'm not getting good today, actually. Well, and coaches have a lot more expectations than they did before, too. You know, you expected to bring a culture, you expected to bring in money, expected to bring in all this crap that, you know, was never a concern in the past. I'm going to move us on to the next subject, but before I touch on that, I do want to point out, I think the main reason that we can all agree on that Tennessee decided to fire their previous head coach was because the dumpster was a, the trash can was a dumb idea for a turnover thing. And I think that was really what put the nail in the coffin. Had he had something like the Miami chain, you know, keep him, but. That effect, we had a trash can too, so it's two two and up. Oh, okay. Wait, why? Eh, anyway, a topic for another time. Uh, so I did want to talk about the Heisman candidacy before this, but there's nothing really to discuss. Uh, Baker Mayfield's going to win it. We all hate Baker Mayfield. Artem, do you have anything that you really want to add real fast? I have nothing nice to say about this conversation. <laughs> Fair enough. I will say, I will say that, uh, Nine for Baker Mayfield, forty-four for Bryce Love. So if Baker Mayfield were to break his dick off in this coming game and not be able to play in the championship, and Bryce Love destroyed USC. Who knows? Uh, Andrew, do you have anything to add to this conversation? I think we're forgetting about some of these smaller jobs that can't find anyone. Like who in God's name is going to take the UTEP job? You are right. I mean, as long as they pay me in tacos. <laughs> I mean, isn't that their mascot? If it's not, why isn't it? I don't know. I don't understand. Dude, their mascot is like a giant buff minor dude. <laughs> okay. Uh, moving on. So really quick, we've got the predictions for the cast. Obviously, this is the conference championship week. Normally, we would talk about the games from last week, but honestly, I don't think there's much to say. Bama lost. Oh, no. And bunch of other games happened uh so moving into the conference championships we're gonna run down the list uh preferably in order of least important to most important uh i know that there's gonna be a lot on the line at the end of this week but there's only a few games in my mind that seems like something could go wrong for these teams so starting off we got northern north texas versus fau uh, something, something, Lane Kiffin, Twitter. Artem, who do you got in this matchup? I got FAU. His Twitter, their Twitter game is a lot stronger, so I'm going to have to pick them. Yeah, it's hard to argue about the Twitter game. <laughs> Andrew, who do you got? I mean, Lane Kiffin is a national treasure. And if Jimbo Fisher leads Florida State, Lane Kiffin should get the Florida State job. I love that Lane Kiffin is on record as like, I am not trolling Nick Saban. I don't even know what Twitter is. Like, Lane Kiffin, what the fuck is wrong what, with you? What's this comment about, like, I text Nick Saban on the regular and he never texts me back? <laughs> um, you, I, you know, I actually, I, I think I'm going to, as much as I love Joey Freshwater, I, I think I'm probably going to go with North Texas. I think Seth Luttrell has really put together a, a, a strong program offensively there. Who's, I, I think he's been a little more tested than Florida Atlantic. All right. Well, I'm going with FAU. Uh, 
honestly, it's just because I don't know enough about these teams. I, I, the only thing I know is, you know, the Twitter game. Tommy is. Uh, I, will, I will note before you make your pick that they've already played each other this season, and FAU beat them sixty-nine to thirty-one. Well, I mean, that goes with my pick, so I'll, I'll back FAU again. Um, next up, Akron versus Toledo, which is certainly not the matchup we were expecting in the MAC, but I guess it's the one we deserve. Uh, Andrew, I know the MAC is your favorite conference, so who do you got in this matchup? Holy shit, Toledo's a 21-and-a-half-point favorite. <laughs> well, <laughs> that might tell you something. I'm going to go with the Rockets on this one. So, Artem, uh, Toledo, more or less uh, than 20, 21 and a half points. Toledo, I'd say that's pretty accurate. All right. I will also take Toledo. I believe uh, Andrew and Nigel are also taking Toledo. Okay, Fresno State versus Boise State. I got nothing to say on this. Maybe the fact that Fresno State is ranked. I'm not really sure why that's a thing, but it is. Artem, who do you got in this matchup? Um, you know, I don't know much about Fresno. I've watched a couple of Boise games this year. They seem to not be able to figure out who their quarterback is. Um, but they do have a running back that's run for 1,000 yards. So they're playing on the blue field. I'm going to go ahead and take Boise on this one. Fair enough. Andrew. So, for the record, they actually played last week. So, they're playing in, again? Yes. They are actually playing back-to-back. What the? F- <laughs> okay, who won <laughs> Who won last week's matchup? I, I know you're going to tell uh, us. Fresno State won that one 28-17 at home. <laughs> but now they're playing at Boise. Now they're at Boise. Uh, and um, it's actually been interesting how Jeff Tedford's done a really good job of rebuilding Fresno State and not being garbage. Um, but I, I don't know. Um, you know, you want to give Boise the home bump, but I, I think Fresno probably comes out and wins this one. I'm going to take Boise, but it's really just because I like them. I mean, the blue field, all that stuff. They beat Oklahoma. However many years ago that was. Yeah. No, I'll take Boise. Whatever. All right. Yeah, I'm going to stick with Boise. Uh, next up Memphis V UCF. Uh, UCF is really getting disrespected. They're undefeated. I mean, they couldn't beat Georgia Tech because they didn't play them. But other than that, UCF's been fantastic. Andrew, who do you got in this matchup, and why is it UCF? Um, UC, wow, there's no line on this game, actually. The over-under on this game is 81, by the way. So no one's going to play defense, which is crazy because I think UCF's actually – fairly decent defensively um i don't believe this is a rematch i no it's actually a rematch of a canceled game wait so ucf didn't play twice no they had our game canceled and they were supposed to play memphis on september the 8th and that game was canceled I thought they got that no, they rescheduled. On the 30th, yeah, bad. they and did reschedule it. They actually have three canceled games. Maine, two weeks later. But they were able to reschedule two of them. They just didn't play us. Uh, yeah, they played UCF and, and they lost pretty handily. So I think UCF's going to do it again. Yeah, that's fair. Artem, okay. you, Artem, you got UCF? Yeah, 
Yeah, I'm gonna pick UCF in this one. It looks like Mem- they beat Memphis 40 to 13 last time. I think the line's high because of last week's game against USF, where it was a, just a shootout. But I'm sticking with UCF. Yeah, I I'm also picking UCF. They will continue to win and they will continue to get disrespected in the uh, poll. That's fair. All right, so now into the P5 games. Uh, uh, Stanford at USC, or I guess the USC. They're not really at or away games. Uh, Really, the only thing riding on this matchup is Kevin Love. Uh, Why did I say Kevin Love? (laughs) Bryce Love has got a chance to be in the Heisman candidacy. Uh, Otherwise, both of these teams are basically out of the playoff talk. Artem, who do you got in this matchup? Uh, I will contradict you. I think uh, if USC pulls this out, I think they're still eligible to be part of the conversation for the playoff. Um, because I think a lot of things will change after this weekend. We saw that last week, uh, or last year, I'm sorry, where you know they they had, what, TCU and Baylor in the top four or something crazy, and then neither of them played it in a championship game, and all of a sudden they weren't in the top four. Uh, but I think uh, Stanford's going to beat them in this one. I think they they finally put some things together. They've uh, had some tough games this year that they've managed to pull out without Bryce Love, and uh, hopefully he's recovered and uh, he'll kick some butt. And they have a better defense. All right, Andrew. Um, this is also a replay. I believe Stanford won that one. No, Stanford lost that one. Yeah. Um. But I think I think Stanford's gotten a lot better than they were. I think they finally settled on a quarterback that's not Keller Chris, and Bryce Love is a grown man playing with children. So I think Stanford wins this one. Yeah, I think if Kevin Love can rebound, uh, I think that Stanford is going to win this game pretty handily. So I just think that LeBron should get thrown out of more games for running his mouth. Hey, he is not getting officiated fairly. Okay. Of course he's not. <laughs> Uh, next up, TCU at Oklahoma. So, Artem, you might contradict me, but it looks like TCU is basically out. Oklahoma just has to win to stay in. Everybody's hoping they lose so that Alabama gets in, or at least everyone in the state of Alabama. Uh, Andrew, who do you got in this matchup? Um, I'm actually trying to go back and look at their first game again. I know, yeah. I was about to say, like, how many of these, how many of these are replays at this point? Oh, I think all of them, but the ACC and the Big Ten one are replays. ACC is a replay too, yeah. Yeah. Uh, this one is a. They got blown out the first time around. Um, they were missing a running back and a couple people. By they, I think you mean TCU, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, Patterson actually has been uh, noted as saying about two weeks ago that he would love a second chance at OU. So, he seems to know. So, he's got his second chance. I mean... Yeah, and I don't I don't think it matters. I think OU wins this game. All right. Artem. You... I'm picking TCU on this one, and I'll contradict you again. I, I do think... So, if TCU wins for whatever reason in this game, and USC wins, you have number three Oklahoma, TCU, and USC all sitting at 11 and 2. There's something so, good. That, it'll be very interesting to see who makes the playoff. I was about to ask, did something good just happen in the A&M basketball game? What was the wooing about? That's my wife watching the Cowgirls try to play football. <laughs> okay, fair enough. 
Um, yeah, I'm going to take TCU just out of the dry hopes that they win. Actually, no, I've been better at jinxing teams, so I'm going to take Oklahoma and hope that they lose. Uh, anyway, next up, the game that – can't believe i got to play this game twice. Uh, Georgia, which is really at home against Auburn. Um, I don't really have anything good to say about this game. Basically, whoever wins is going to be in, and it's a mess, and I really hate both of these teams. I guess I'm kind of hoping for Auburn, but again, I'm better at jinxing teams, so I'll probably pick Georgia. Artem, you're our SEC uh, whatever majig. Who you got in this matchup? You know, I'm going to contradict myself on this one um, because if I follow the same trend as I'm following with TCU, Kirby Smart's an offensive or defensive-minded guy and should be able to beat Auburn for the second time. But um, I think their history is what I'm going to fall back on here. Georgia seems to just miraculously not know how to play football every time they go to the Georgia Dome um, or the Mercedes-Benz Stadium, excuse me. Uh, so I'm going to go with Auburn on this one. Um, I think they're a more complete team. I think they're hot right now, whereas uh, I think Georgia has just proved that they're back. Uh, I think they, they lost they, – they got destroyed by Auburn last time, and I don't think they ever really recovered because even though they won the games, that they were sloppy. Well, what, didn't Auburn lose their starting running back, or maybe I imagined that? Uh, allegedly. I'm, I, there's different rumors coming out of different things. I'm not exactly sure. He's going to play. I, I wouldn't be surprised. I will remind you, yeah, the Georgia Dome is different than the Mercedes-Benz Stadiums, although I think Georgia's record in the Georgia Dome was pretty terrible. Um, now that you bring that up, uh, Andrew, who do you got? Well, first of all, the world doesn't need Georgia to win a national title. That's easily <laughs> one of the seven signs of the apocalypse. And, dear God, I'm glad I moved to North Carolina if that happened. I mean, to be fair, we already had the Cubs win a World Series last year. so that, it's... That's fine. I'm okay with that. I can take it. I don't want to live in a world with Georgia winning a national title. It, it, no, their fans are smug enough assholes without the accomplishments. Um, but I, I, I want to say Auburn wins it because Auburn's really the only team that's been able to, to step in and really stymie Georgia offensively. You know, Auburn's fantastic up front, and I think that's really going to be the big difference in the game is I think Auburn's going to – I mean, they held Georgia to 1.4 yards per carry. They had 46 yards on 32 carries. I mean, I think that's a big part of it, and, and I definitely think Auburn hopefully will be able to do that again. I will say Auburn has had one of the best defenses. If you go back to their early game against Clemson, they've had one of the best defenses all year. They've had a few games where they've looked kind of confusingly bad, but for the most part, one of the best defenses all year. I'm picking Georgia, but it's just because I want to jinx Georgia. I really have no basis for any of that. These are two very similar teams in their methodology and in their game planning. I think Auburn has a slight edge on the defensive side of the ball, but it's really hard to say. I, but I hope Georgia doesn't win because they won't win a national. I really don't want them to win a national championship. But you know, some more insight into it. Uh, Georgia has a true freshman quarterback, and Auburn likes to play a system where they leave their corners on an island. So 
I mean, the true freshman quarterback hasn't exactly been bad, but he hasn't thrown the ball a lot either. So, I mean, take what, what I'm you saying want. is, by doing that, they force you to throw. You're going to have to throw to win against Auburn. And that's why they won the first game, I think. Uh, anyway, next up, uh, Ohio State, Wisconsin. So, if you want to go back to the UCF argument, Wisconsin's also been disrespected all year. They haven't lost a single game, and they're still <laughs> – uh, expected to lose against Ohio State, a two-loss team in this one. So, Andrew, what do you think? Is Ohio State going to pull what they did against Iowa here, against Wisconsin, or maybe a return to form? What are we looking at? I mean, that's really your question, is which Ohio State team shows up? You know, Wisconsin's been consistent. They're really, really, really good defensively under Jim Leonard. He's kind of stepped in when Dave Aranda left. And it's just kind of kept that defense rolling, rolling, rolling. You know, the question is, is are there enough weapons offensively for Wisconsin to score enough points to win this game? I mean, this game could honestly end up being like, you know, 17 to 10. Because both teams are really, really good defensively. You know, the other one is going to be, you know, can, you know, can J.K. Dobbins really have a good game at running back for Ohio State? You know, I think he's been a really good true freshman for them. And, Again, it's kind of a if Wisconsin wins, they're in. If Ohio State wins, it tosses things into chaos, and it's kind of a crapshoot then. Oh, no. I, I am almost certain that if Ohio State wins, they will be in for whatever I don't, reason. I don't think they'd be in. Your question would be, do they jump a one-loss Alabama who didn't win their division? Um, you know, in the BCS, you would say yes, but in the playoffs, we've never really had this happen before, so... I'm sure they will find a reason. Uh, anyway, but yeah, um, so. I just, I, you know, I, I want to pick against the Badgers because I don't trust them offensively. They, I mean, their best wide receiver is out. But they're just, they're so good defensively and they're so consistent. I, I think Wisconsin wins a very low-scoring game. All right, fair enough. I mean, it has come down to a field goal the past few years, if I remember correctly. Artem, who do you got? of whether Ohio State shows up or not. I think Ohio State always shows up. Sometimes, sometimes it takes them until the fourth quarter to do so, and at times it's been irrelevant by that point. Um, you got to keep the, the your foot on the gas pedal. But um, if I remember correctly, this was a game last year that had playoff implications as well, and I want to say it did come down to the fourth quarter as well, um, and Wisconsin couldn't carry it out. Do you think they're a year older and they kind of had the next man up mentality? Their defense is playing well, although some may argue their schedule is one of the worst in the country. The most they've given up is 24 points this season, and that's the seven, high of 17 in the last five games. They handled Michigan, although Michigan is beat up, and they didn't let Minnesota score a single point on them last week. So I think, uh, I actually do think uh, Wisconsin will pull this one out. Um, but I really think it's going to be a very interesting scenario if they don't. I think I have a, a ten and two, or sorry, an eleven and two Ohio State potentially, depending on what happens next time. Eleven and two Clemson, eleven and two Georgia, or eleven and two Auburn, eleven and two OU, eleven and two. There's a lot of eleven and two teams coming into this, and you know, kind of like Andrew said, um, it's going to be interesting whether they pick a, you know. What is it, a 10-1 or 11-1 Alabama or a, a 
undefeated Wisconsin or UCF goes to the playoff ahead of these two losses. Yeah, that'll be chaos. Um, so I do think Wisconsin will win this matchup. I'm going to pick Ohio State to jinx them, but uh, I do think Wisconsin will win this matchup because they, unlike Ohio State, have beaten P.J. Fleck. So they are rowing that boat as strongly as possible. I, I do think that Wisconsin has a good situation going on for them. So uh, I'm going to pick... I'm going to pick Ohio State just to jinx them, but I do think Wisconsin wins the matchup. All right, last up, the one that could really fuck everything up and throw everything into chaos, uh, Miami versus Clemson. Uh, Obviously, if Clemson wins, they're in. If Miami wins, Lord knows what happens because I think a lot of people are turning against the ACC right now. It's a very chaotic situation. it might be different had not both these teams lost to Syracuse and Pitt. That's their one loss. Whereas, you know, I think if you're making the argument like, do we let in Alabama who lost to Auburn who is also in the playoff versus do we let in uh, Miami who lost to Pitt or uh, Clemson who lost to Syracuse. Anyway, Andrew, I can see you losing your mind over there. Who do you got? I mean, I disagree with you. I think the winner's in. But – I also think Clemson wins because I think Clemson's the better team. I'm defending national champions. I mean, just watching them, I feel they're the better team. Fair enough. Artem, who do you got? Especially defensively. I mean, Clemson, the Clemson defense we're seeing now is on the level of the Alabama defenses of the past. I mean, they're that good. All right, Artem, do you agree? I want to pick. All right, I'm not going to make a pick in this game because I don't want to jinx them, but I think Clemson will win this game. Um, I guess I should pick Miami to give them the kiss of death, but I do think Clemson will win this game. There's no reason they shouldn't. Uh, anyway, that's been our cast for the day. I think some of us have got... <laughs> no, 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 no. One more game. Hoot, hoot. Yeah, I was about to say. Okay, fine. I don't think Kennesaw State will win because Jacksonville State's a better team, but hoot, hoot. All right, Kennesaw State, yeah. Artem, I assume you're on this Kennesaw State train with us. I will, yeah, I'll be on the train. I have no idea. I haven't looked this up at all, so I'm on the train with you. The train's good. Fair enough. All right, cool. Well, as always, thanks uh, thanks to our listeners for listening to us be idiots. Uh, if you want to check us out, check out our Twitter handle at ToeMeetsLeather at whatever, and send us an email at ToeMeetLeather at gmail.com. Thanks as always. Have a good one. Bye. Turtle. Turtle. Yeah, rest in peace, Turtle.